Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. selling author many times over. You have such an incredible life and story. So I just want to quickly introduce you from my perspective, and then we're going to break it down from your perspective. <laughs> you, were born, you were born into a super power family. Like your dad is a huge, huge, huge preacher impacting the world, like started a mega church in Chicago, you grew up in this church, like you grew up in the church, you grew up with a certain set. This is from my perspective. And then we're going to go through it from yours. Like you grew up with a certain set of like, this is life. This is what it is. This is who I am. This is my community. This is where I plug in. You met your husband. He lived one county over. Y'all grew up with like mutual friends. All your cousins were around. You had a life. You said this in your book, you had a life of I don't know exactly what you said, but like it was safe. It was, you were known, you were seen, you were the expert in so many things. You were like, you were comfortable. It was a great comforting life and you knew your place in it and you knew your family's place in it and you were raising your boys in it. And by all, by all standards, it it seems pretty awesome. Like, you know, to, to not only, and then on top of this, you're a New York selling New York Times selling best author in your own right. So you have this big dad figure, but then you've come into your own voice. You found your own way. You wrote present over perfect, which is <laughs> it was so crazy because a few years or years ago, I've always been in a season of um, unraveling and chaos. Like I've constantly been 
insecure and searching for my higher calling and I've always felt lost and I've always felt like everyone else knows how to do life better than me and I never quite have the key to the kingdom and I'm always just like I always feel like I'm just like that scrappy stray dog that's just like trying to get get it but that's not how other people perceive me but that's how I perceive I've always perceived myself I've just always felt like I haven't known like other people have known things. And so that's a huge reason why I started this podcast was to interview people like you who know things, who have gone on these journeys, who have written these books, who have soul searched, who have come up with the hard questions and really dug into the answers. And like, I've just been so drawn to people like that because I've never felt like I've known what to do with life. And I just found your book from my friend Lainey Crowder. And I'm sorry, I'm doing a very long introduction and then we're going to get to Lainey Crowder who's here who we had a quick little conversation with in the beginning. Lainey is one of my best friends, the godmother to my child. Her husband is a huge producer, produces Florida Georgia Line, Chris Young. Like he has written some of the biggest hit songs in country music. So Lainey is very, very well versed with celebrities and people of important figures and you are the one that has rocked her world the most. She gave me this book, Present Over Perfect, she also gave me your devotional saver, which we were on a trip to Costa Rica together, and we did the devotionals every single day. And then she's staying at my house, and you are my interview today. She's like, what? You're interviewing Shauna Nyquist? And I'm like, yes? She's like dying. So anyway, I just appreciate what you have contributed to this world and your honesty with it and your honesty in the moments that you have like you write from where you are because like probably where you are in present over perfect is not who where you are and I guess I haven't learned that yet which is your newest book is that right like I feel like these are two different people maybe yeah I mean two different two really different seasons absolutely yeah okay so I that I want to just get into is what was it like growing up so known and growing up so grounded because that was a huge part of your life until almost 40 right mm-hmm um, well, you know, it's like anything when you're a kid, you don't know, you don't know what normal is. You just know what you're experiencing. Right. So it seemed normal to me. Um, I had a, a really, in a lot of ways, a really lovely growing up experience, lots of extended family around, lots of good friends, lots of mentors. And it was really, really consistent, really stable. Um, a lot of familiarity, a lot of old friends. It was, it was a lot of really good parts of it. Absolutely. And did you feel like, because you were writing, like you never really felt like you wanted to leave that, even though Aaron, I love that you just call your husband Aaron. Like Aaron, like he just, he wasn't totally cool with it. Like once you guys got married, he was like, I'm not totally cool with all this, just familiarity that's not my life. Like I love it for you, but like, this isn't necessarily for me. And that kind of became a little bit of a conversation point for you guys. I mean, conversation point is like a really <laughs> lovely, gentle way to say that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you know, just in any marriage that lasts for a long time, um, there are those points you hit where you want different things. And um, I, he kept saying, I want to go on an adventure. And I kept thinking like, I think you mean a trip. And he was like, I do not mean a trip. I mean, I want to live somewhere else. And I was like, that's not a thing people do. And I really regret that. I really, one of my greatest regrets is that I was so committed to my, what I wanted for our life that I didn't listen when he was saying like, I actually want something different. I was like, I don't think you do. Oh, I don't, oh, I don't think don't. that's what you mean. And he You're did. Wrong. And I should have listened. Um, 
I, I really regret that. And I wish I would have done that differently. I've learned a lot um, through getting that so wrong. But you got there. I mean, so you regret it, but you also did listen because look at you now. Now you're in an 825 square foot apartment in New York City. I mean, that's listening. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We got there. It, it took us a while, but we got here. And I feel like sometimes though, <laughs> though, for me, at least in my life, God, when I start, um, when things are meant to shift in my life and I, I'm really, and you tell me if this has happened to you. Like I, I used to fight listening to God or hearing the voices that I needed to hear because I had a plan and I needed to stay to that plan for my life to work out and for me to be happy. And, but I've also always been a complete wanderer, but like I had an invisible timeline that I was living by that things needed to happen. But it's like, eventually it just kind of knocked me on my ass anyway. Like I just ended up getting to where I needed to go the much harder way because I wasn't willing to like hear it for a long time. Oh, a hundred percent. I always hold on too long and I fight change too hard and then the change happens anyway. And I feel like there's like this voice from the heavens saying like, you could have just listened, right? Like the signs were there. And I think always like God, God speaks in our lives, usually through like a tiny little whisper. And you can listen to that if you want to. And then a speaking voice and then a yell and then a scream and then like a tornado or something. And um, I'm hoping that some of the ways that I'm growing and learning in this season is that I'm getting better at listening to the whispers. Um, and so I don't have to wait for the screaming. A oh, getting better at listening to the whispers. So I don't have to wait for the screaming. Now, isn't that the truth? And it's so simple. Like that's what I have realized now because I feel like that has been my quest as well. in my personal life journey is like, feeling it when God is speaking to me and like noticing that and noticing it in my gut. Like, and you talk about how you went into physical illness actually with like IBS type symptoms and you were having all sorts of like stomach problems, which I have experienced so much in my life. I have had a knot in my stomach for the majority of my life. Like I have walked oh. around, it's gotten like now in my late thirties, it has gotten so much better because I have, freed myself of a lot of the the tangled web that I was living in of like the stories of my mind that weren't serving me and what I needed to be but I walked I had just constant anxiety like I was having like the runs all the time like my my like this is gross but like you know gas that actually like hurt and like I would just like eat anything and like my stomach would hurt and I would always have anxiety and I'd constantly be like just like nervous in my stomach always. And I thought to myself, like this is going to cause me problems. Like this is physically going to cause me problems in my body because this cannot be good for that to be there constantly. Like, cause it does manifest like when you, and I love that you put that, you said physical pain manifesting like from spiritual pain. Like some of you wrote in your book, some of us are feeling physical pain need to learn to feel our feelings that we and feel are the feelings that we don't want to feel and think are unthinkable thoughts. Like they're like to deal with that physical pain. We have to look at the feelings that we don't want to feel and, un, and think and like dive into the thoughts that are unthinkable for us. And did, that's what you did. I feel like that's what this book is about is like you are diving in to all of the feelings that you didn't want to feel and all of the thoughts that you didn't want to think. 
Oh, 100%. And I, um, I wish that I was the kind of person who just naturally did that, but I'm not. <laughs> and I had to wait for a lot of really painful things to kind of all um, find their way into my life at once and for the physical pain to become unbearable. And I think our bodies have a lot to tell us if we listen. And I'm not always a great listener, but I'm learning to be. So when did your body start acting up? When I was 39. And I look back now and I realized that it was early menopause and I didn't notice it. Like just, I didn't think about it. Like 39, my friends were still having babies. Like it wasn't, um, that wasn't even on my radar. But then when I was 42 and so it was, uh, a lot of that was perimenopause. And um, when I went to my doctor at 42 and she was like, you're actually like in full-blown menopause about 10 years early. Um, She's like, I'm surprised you haven't noticed. I'm like, well, I mean, I do feel like everything's going wrong sort of all at once in every part of my body all the time. She was like, that's what it is. I was like, oh, well then yes, I have noticed. <laughs> yeah. So what were the steps that you took to start dealing with this physical pain that was like truly wrecking your life? So it was, you know, like any chronic pain uh, journey, it was like trying a million things that didn't work and then occasionally one that did. But a couple of the things that made the most difference, um, I would say there was a set of like emotional, spiritual practices, and then a set of more like physical lifestyle practices. So some of it was uh, when you talk about the unfeelable feelings and the unthinkable thoughts, that's from Dr. Sarno, who um, there's this amazing documentary about him called All the Rage. And it's people who have tremendous debilitating chronic pain. And they come to him because he was a spinal surgeon uh, at Columbia and they would go to him and he'd be like, there is nothing physiologically wrong with your back, like nothing. And people were like, cool, but like, I can't live. And so he ended up developing this kind of course of practice where he would invite people to think their unthinkable thoughts and feel their unfeelable feelings first thing every morning in a really deep way. How do you do that? Well, for me, I lay on the ground and I ask myself, I look up at the ceiling and I ask myself, like, is there anything inside of me that uh, is real and honest and true, but I'm trying not to face? Oh, wow. 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 So this is like, and I also love that you put in the book, like when you were breaking down and like totally your idea of who you were and your identity of who you were was completely crumbling and you were going down to the bottom of the ocean and like it was just a pile of bones down there that is going to be your next self. But it's, I love that you've gone there because that's the thing. It is so hard to go there to that dark place. And so many of us, I think, want to just block it. And so to actually know those thoughts, like how do you even, because sometimes people are like, I don't even know what those thoughts are. I don't even know what I'm trying to think, what I'm trying to run from. Well, one of the things that I recommend, like if you're just like kind of tiptoeing into this journey and it feels maybe really overwhelming, you're like, oh no, I'm not ready to do bottom of the ocean pile of bones. Let's <laughs> please. But if you're like, okay, let, uh, start for five minutes every morning, set a five minute timer on your phone and get out a tiny piece of paper, not like a fancy journal. Cause that feels like intimidating. Like you have to say something profound, get like a post-it or an index card that you can like throw away. Absolutely. Something, it could be like a, the back of a receipt, something like that. Okay. Something and casual. write two words, pain and desire. Mm. Pain, what hurts? Desire, what do I want? Mm. Just start there. Mm. Especially for women, especially mothers, especially in midlife, those are things we rarely make space to feel or ask about. So pain when you say desire. pain and desire, what hurts? And by that, I mean my shoulders, my stomach, my feet, or 
being lonely in my marriage or my kid is struggling or my friendships aren't whatever it is but just start with what hurts and you don't have to have a judgment for it you don't have to have a solution for it you don't have to assign blame to who how it got that where that way just like think about when your kids your kid comes in crying all you want to know is what hurts, right? Is it your heart? Is it your feelings? Is it your knee? Is it, and, and we don't have to magically fix it or magically label it or find a solution so it never happens again. We just want to know what is causing you this pain. So think of yourself like a child that you adore and ask what is causing this pain. And then the second step, desire. What do you want? What do you long for? What do you dream about? And even what makes you jealous of other people? A lot of times when you experience jealousy, we were taught to like, oh, that's terrible. How dare you do that? Don't feel that anymore. But if right before you shove it away, you were to ask, what is it that I'm jealous of? Could that be pointing to something I really need and want in my own life? Jealousy can teach us a lot. So yes. what do you want? What are you longing for? What do you dream for? What are you jealous about? Those I are love important that. things. And I love that it's kind of taking your power back from jealousy because it's saying I'm using jealousy as a tool, not as something to m make me feel like I am less than. It's I am on a growth. I am on a journey of growth. And so when I notice something that I don't like the way I feel, I'm going to follow that feeling down to get to the core of it, to get to the bottom of the ocean with it, to realize that is actually a desire. And the person I'm jealous of has done the work or, done, or whatever, it, but also their life is completely different than mine behind closed doors because <laughs> what I'm jealous of, they may not even feel in their life. They may be struggling with something. They are struggling with something totally different. Their life, what I feel like I want and I see in their life, is not the actual life they're living anyway because they have their own set of things that they're dealing with. But I love what you're saying because they are presenting something that I want my life to look like. So now how do I start taking those steps to start, uh, to start moving that way in that direction? Exactly. Many years ago, uh, right before when I was writing Present Over Perfect, um, and when I started looking at my own jealousy, what I realized was I was not jealous of my friends who were selling more books. Genuinely, I was very jealous of my friends who got enough sleep, who had enough downtime, who had their lives had a sense of like ease and rest. And like, like on a Saturday morning, they would just like do what they wanted. Okay. But if I was unwilling to look at my jealousy, most people would think you're a writer. Your job is to be a writer. You, the people you're jealous of are the people who are selling more books than you. Not true. People I was jealous of were people who had more time in their lives to do what they wanted. And so being honest about that allowed me to make some hard choices about how much I was working, right? So the jealousy can be a guide and a tool and a very powerful one to show us what it is we really want. So you talk about grief and we won't get into this because you say this was your dad's story to tell and you're not going to, that's his journey. It affected you. So you're talking about your effect from something that happened within the church, within your dad at the center point. So he's this huge preacher. And then all of a sudden, like everything that you've known has fallen apart with this church and your dad and the image that you have of your life and the identity that you have of yourself that you have based on 
who you are rooted in this church and who you are rooted in your father. And now everything about who you are has shifted to the point where it's like you said, you were so safe in your identity and you were so comforted in it, but yet you're also spinning. And I wonder if that, what, if you felt that way, because you had such an influential father, did you feel the need that you had to match his influence? That it was like your job to be as impactful as he seemed to the world? Did you feel like you had to keep up with that? Was that part of the pressure you were putting on yourself that made you feel so busy? Is like, I have to contribute in a huge way because that's my family legacy? Something like that. I wouldn't say I ever felt like I had to do something on the level of what he was doing. But I definitely felt, and I think this is true for a lot of people, um, whether it's your parents or your partner or anybody, uh, if they're doing something kind of extraordinary and if, if their thing that they're doing is extraordinary gives you a lot of opportunities and privilege, mm. you feel a sense where you want to use them well, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I, I did not feel competitive with him by any means, but I knew that there were, I had been given a lot of privilege in terms of wealth, in terms of opportunities, in terms of proximity. And I wanted to kind of live up to the many, many opportunities I was given. You were born with a built-in platform. Mm-hmm. Like you were, you, what, what many people have to claw their way to get to, to a level of being recognized. You were just born at this certain point in your life. And you, you so you felt like, I don't want to waste this gift. I wanna, yeah. I want to use it in a meaningful way. I want to live up to it. Yeah. Did that end up though, causing you stress because you felt such an honor to living up to it? And it was from a genuine place. Like you have all of these blessings, all of this opportunity, you have privileges, you have insight into so much that so many people don't and access. And, but did that end up because of that, did that end up making you feel like you end up kind of backfiring in a way because you put these standards on yourself that you had to be all that you felt like you were born into? Not, not like living up to your dad, but do you think that that's what caused you to feel stressed out and frantic and wanting more simple because like you just had this thing, this, this role that you were trying to always keep going on this, this ball that oh, was yeah. moving. I mean, I think it was that and a million other things. I think it's, you know, being, um, uh, a Midwesterner, a woman, an eldest child. Um, I went to like one of those really competitive high schools. I am, I, I have sort of an innate sense of being responsible for a lot of things I'm not actually responsible for. Um, so it was, it was absolutely the family stuff, the church stuff, the cultural stuff, all of it together, I think, uh, made me really want to be a responsible, dutiful, hardworking person. I wanted to be competent. I wanted to be dependable. I didn't want to let anybody down. Um, And then, you know, publishing is a very, you know, I know so much of your world is in the music industry and there's a similarity there with, um, there's always one more thing. There's always a next thing. Um, And there's that idea of you have to strike while the iron's hot or it's going to pass you by. Um, And all of that messaging, I think, got wrapped together for me and put me into kind of got me on a path where I was working so much more than I was living or connecting or being with my family or being with my husband. And um, I can see how I got there. And I'm really grateful that I had the... um, that I had good people around me who let me sort of walk back off of that path um, before doing any real long lasting damage to my family or to my own self. 
comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I'd love to get your take on this because you say you still are believing God, you still are spiritual, you still have like a huge faith, but it has shifted, I feel like, for you from maybe when you were younger to where you are now. And I feel like what I have gathered is you went from more of this is this is faith, this is this is what it is to now this is my personal faith, to this is how I walk with God, this is how I feel, God. It's like, I feel like you went from religion to spirituality. And and I would love to know your take on those two words, because I feel like a lot of us who have grown up with a very strong presence of God in the church and 
um, teachings and elders and people who are experts in the field of God, we can grow up feeling like it has to maybe be a certain way to get to God, but then you kind of have life hit you and you realize that no one is perfect and everything can fall apart and everyone is human and we all are just trying to understand it the best that we can. And then that kind of leads to a more spiritual journey where it's like you truly have your own walk with God. That's just yours. Do you feel like that has happened in your life? Um, I would say I have always been, uh, I, I totally understand the question. I totally understand the, the, the comparison. Um, I would say religion and spirituality have both been a part of my life for a long time. I would say the the primary, um, when I went away to college, I very specifically kind of walked away from the traditional religious experience that I was raised in and went on a very um, much more spiritual, mystical, uh, based on poetry and literature and art, a, a journey there and ended up really reconciling kind of both sides of myself the person who grew up in a religious environment and has a deep sense of spirituality the person who grew up in a um you know large midwestern church and really respects kind of the artistic creative um more spiritual mystical side of things i would say the the more recent journey i've been on has been a lot about from kind of the belonging and identity coming from a religious institution larger than myself to learning to live in the unbelonging and to belong to myself in a, in, in a way um, that it was less deter- it's less um, about what we all are doing, what we all are participating in, what we're all building together, and more about um, learning to be content alone and have a much quieter spiritual experience. I go to a much smaller church. I live on the campus of an Episcopal seminary. And so it's not by any means that it's a non, it's not from religion to non-religion. I mean, I like literally see priests out my window every day. There are like nine chapels a week. There are church bells all the time. I'm very much living in a religious environment and I love it, but it's um, quieter, smaller, um, much more, connected to the historical religious experience as opposed to the more recent modern Christian experience, um, much more oriented toward beauty and mystery and questions. And those things suit me really well right now. That's a really, that's been a wonderful place for me to be. And the other part of it that's been a really big change, I would say, is from being one of the people who was responsible for building it and making it and doing it. And now I'm um, like, somewhere between a volunteer and an attender. And that's really different. I've never been that in my life. And you said that going from the expert, you were always kind of an ex, you were, you were an expert. And now to not be the expert, but to be the the student, the learner, the volunteer, like, wow. And not only that, you shifted from your comfort zone of your hometown and this church that you were a huge part of to moving to New York where you did know people, but like New York is, it is a heartbeat all of its own. Like eh, there is no, I mean, it is definitely the wild west of just like, it doesn't really matter how awesome and loved and, and 
treasured you were back home because no one really cares in New York. You got to make your way. You got to find your life. You got to like make it happen for yourself. It is a, that city is moving fast. And so it's like, great. Awesome. You were, you were an expert back home, but like no one cares in New York, you know? A hundred percent. And, and that was so freeing for me. It was really, I love it. I loved it. I, um, I love living on a campus where I like, I don't know anything about the Episcopal church. I still don't. I get the words wrong all the time. I call everything by its wrong name. I have to ask for help in the city all the time. There's so much I don't know. Um, and that has been so freeing. Um, I didn't realize how kind of stuck I had been in that identity of being the expert or the answer person or the person who, you know, uh, knew everything about her hometown or her church or her tradition or whatever. And to get to be like, I don't know, I have no idea. Um, I guess I haven't learned that yet. <laughs> right. It has been really, really freeing and life-giving and energizing. I'm so grateful to get to be a beginner and a learner um, at this stage in my life um, and to get to learn from so many great people and to get to ask questions and to get to not know the answer and to get things wrong and try again. Um, that has been, uh, I love it. It's my, my favorite thing about this season in our life. It's kind of interesting because I feel like it's sort of opposite for you because most people, this, what you're saying is anxiety for most people. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know anything. I don't know anyone. I don't know the answers. I don't have a community all around me. I'm not like, I'm not like, I, I can't like say, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is like, you know, I feel like so many of us are trying to get to that place where we can quickly run down our laundry list of this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what makes me comfortable. This, you know, and it's like, but you're like, Oh my God, I always was the expert. I always knew what I was doing. I always was on this path and now I'm opposite, which is like, it's like reverse timing in your life. Like you had all of that knowingness of who you were in the front end of your life, front half of your life. And now on this like second chap, the second half, it's like, Oh my God, I'm getting to actually unearth, who I, who that, that gave me my foundation, but now I'm getting to take it and really just kind of mold it and like, let it develop as it truly wants to without any preconditions on it. It feels mm -hmm. like. Absolutely. And I think it's not even as much about, um, a new identity. It's sort of about taking the focus off having such a, such a fixed identity. Like fixed it's not identity. Yes. Yeah. It's not like I used to be the girl who wears this and eats this and does this. And now I'm the girl who this and this and this. It's like, I used to be the girl who did this. And now I'm the girl who isn't so preoccupied with having a fixed identity or fashion sense or design sense or perspective on this. And what that sets me free to do is experience the world in a really new way. It lets me learn. It lets me be curious. It lets me change my mind. It lets me go all the way down into this rabbit hole that I didn't even know existed and, and learn about it and be curious about it. It creates a lot of space and flexibility inside of me instead of feeling like I have to decide kind of who I am and who I'm going to be in every moment. I'm just going to walk into that moment and learn about it and let it teach me instead of telling it exactly who I am. Does that make sense? Yes. It's like you're giving, you have now freed yourself. I love fixed identity. Like you had this fixed identity and now it's like, it's very malleable. It's very open. It's very fluid. It's very much like 
you're going to take each new experience and each new perspective that comes your way and each new person and each new opportunity. And you're going to let that influence you. However you feel called to let it influence you with your own guidance system with God. And I think that that is the most powerful place to be in for me personally, because just from my own journey, I have very much just, I have been so longing to know my reasoning for being here my whole life. Like I have never, I just never knew. I just I always felt like I never knew anything compared, like I told you in the beginning, like I never knew anything compared to most people. And like, I didn't know I had like, I grew up in a very amazing hometown, but like I did have my identity of who I was in my hometown, but it never was a total match to who I really felt like I was supposed to be, but I didn't know how to get to that other person that I was supposed to be because like, you love your family and like you love the life that you were born into, but it's like you feel called to do other things and you want to learn and you want to, to experience new stuff, but it's hard to get there. And sometimes it takes going through grief and a very painful, traumatic moment that uproots your entire life to force you to change it. And it's like, I feel like that is sort of what happened to you in a way is everything sort of fell on its head and you and your husband and your boys were like, we got to go. And that was a catalyst to start a new life that maybe you knew you always wanted to do. But because of this moment of grief and pain, it was the catalyst that allowed you to have that courage to do it. And I feel like that is where grief can really be a grief or pain or trauma or that moment where it just like explodes. But it actually, it feels like the world's falling apart, but it, it is falling apart, but then you get to create a whole new world. And if you have the, the sense like you do and your husband to hang on to your soul and let that continue to guide you, even in your most painful spots, instead of just throwing everything away and saying, well, screw it life's over anyway. I'm done with this. Like, I'm just going to like, you know, burn it all up and like not even care. You held onto your soul and you kept following your soul into a whole new uncharted territory. But now I love that you said towards the end of the book, it's you have made a home inside of a life story you never wanted, but now you have learned to love this life that you would have never planned out per se. Right. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you're in the middle of one of those seasons of like absolute grief or pain or trauma, um, you don't have to be like extremely hopeful about like, oh, I bet I get a new amazing life after this. I did not feel that. I did not feel that at all. All I felt was the tremendous loss of the life I wanted and the identity I wanted and the story I wanted. And um, it took me a long time, but um it didn't take forever and I got there and um, I know a lot of people and actually a lot of them have been the people who have helped me through the last couple of years, people who have been through something, whatever it is, um, a diagnosis, a divorce, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a business, whatever it is that's that cataclysmic loss that takes your life the way it was going to be and now the way it is. Mm. There are so many wonderful new ways to live, even when your old life is gone. And you don't have to love it right away, and you don't have to be like all sunshine about it. But there are a million wonderful ways to live. There are great towns everywhere. There are great people everywhere. There are great churches everywhere. The sun still comes up in the morning that like you can 
find a way to live in an entirely new story, even if it's not one you chose, even if not, it's not one you would ever choose, there is life beyond those moments. And I'm so grateful um, that that's true. And I feel like it took me a long time to come around to that. But for anybody who's in that place of like, I can't, I'm so fogged in my, by my own pain and grief, I can't see what's next. It's out there. You can make a new self and a new life and a new home and a new story, even when all you can see from here is the wreckage. And I know your book talks about that a lot. I guess I haven't learned that yet. And I love that you say that you and your family say that pretty much every day. It's like, oh, I guess I haven't learned that yet. And it's like, instead of being the expert now, it's like, oh, I guess I don't know that yet. Let's learn. How exciting. So how do you do that when you're in the fog? And like, just to, because I know that that is what this book is about and everyone needs to get their hands on it. But if you were going to give a few bullet points to someone who's in the middle of fall right now, like their life is upside down. This is not what they wanted. They're upset. They could be humiliated. They could be devastated, brokenhearted, all of it. This is not it. This is not the way it's supposed to go. This is not fair. This is absolutely ruining my life. And I cannot see the forest for the trees of how this could ever become something I would want. But like you're saying, on the other side of it, there is a whole new world, but it's not black and white. It's very colorful. It's very, it's, it's all sorts of stuff. But how do you get to this place where you're like, I can see now where that moment changed my life, but I was able to now go on another path I would have never gone on and learn stuff about myself I would have never learned. And now I'm actually a more whole, empathetic, understanding human and spiritual being than I ever could have been because of going through that. But how do you get to start taking those steps of moving through it when you're in the thick of it? I mean, I, I, I think you start really practical, really day to day. Um, I think you get outside every single day. You yes. walk, you breathe fresh air. Um, you take uh, bedtime and rest really seriously. Amen to times. <laughs> Instead of, of drinking times, and partying and uh-huh. like numbing, let's get some sleep and meditation. <laughs> I think when a lot of times uh, when you're in the in the like total fog of it, you can't sleep. And I think you need to like like think about yourself like a tiny little baby. You need to get outside. You need to move your body. You need water. You need sleep. You need soft sheets. You need cozy jammies. Um, you need a great therapist. Yes. Um, you need that is so important, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, everyone I, needs therapy, no matter 100%. how healthy you think you are. <laughs> everyone needs therapy. Well, especially, I mean, I think everyone needs therapy, and I think the ideal thing to do, okay, if your life is like amazing right now, find a therapist now, yes, build a relationship now, even if you just go for a handful of sessions, but they know kind of what this, what your life is like, what you know, little things you're trying to untangle so that. When your life falls apart, if it does, probably it, it will, will at some point. <laughs> it definitely will. <laughs> I don't want to be the, the voice of bad news, but it will. Don't want to be um, the bigger of bad news, but your life is going to shit's going to hit the fan. Sorry. It's going to 100%. <laughs> um, then, I mean, like I uh, came to New York uh, and I had, uh, I needed a new therapist. Like I could have done the distance thing with my old therapist. I need a new one. Like, can you imagine what that first session was? He's like, why are you here? I was like, well, you know, um, he was like, okay, that's a lot to work with. Got a lot to work with. Um, but he was amazing. But uh, get a therapist. And then it's so easy in the like absolute most painful seasons to isolate. Mm. Push yourself to let one or two or three people 
into your life and your day and your experience and your home, even when you don't want to. Even to it's, the bottom of the ocean of it, like the gross part. Yes. Like, you talk, like you're talking about the part that we don't want. And I agree with you so much. And whether or not you're, you might not be comfortable to do that with any person that you know in your life. That's why a therapist is amazing because they cannot share your information. They are legally, it is not, is not allowed. Like it is a legal thing. It is locked up in their mind. I mean, what is in the minds of therapists? They know so much. Stuff. Oh, they're I'm poor like, brains. They're I know, poor right? brains. <laughs> I know, like God bless the therapist. But like mm -hmm. they can't care and they have all of this training and all these tools to help you understand it. It's non-judgmental. Like literally you can throw anything at a therapist and they're like, okay, yeah, that's a lot to work with, but okay, we got it. Let's go. Let's get our shovels and start digging, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But you have to get it out because one of my best friends is, is in recovery and I have learned so many phrases from recovery. It's like secrets keep you sick. You know, if mm -hmm. you keep that secret inside, it will manifest in your body and all sorts of physical pain, which can lead to very big problems down the road. Like cancers and stuff like that. I truly believe all of that can manifest in big ways. It has to go somewhere in your body. And if you cannot get it out and work it out, it stays stuck in mm -hmm. your body and it will take shape and form in so many different ways in your life. So literally you think you're burying it and it just goes away. It just actually sits somewhere deep, deep, deep locked in your body stored that never goes away. Right? Oh, a hundred percent. And we all know people who like, um, have chosen not to deal with something per se, uh, for example, and um, they say they're fine, but then like they watch a sad movie and like cry like they're going to have to go to the hospital, you know, because and they you're finally like, have a place ah. to release. Right. You're, you know, or they're like, um, I think Cry like, they're gonna go to the hospital. <laughs> like we joke about it sometimes, but sometimes when I see men like absolutely losing their minds about sports, like again, not sports, they're playing sports, they're watching on TV. Right. Yes. I'm like, I'd like, I wonder maybe we could talk about anger, right? Like me, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's some anger inside of you because you're losing your mind at a man who can't hear you, you know? This outlet um, feels like maybe it's a little, it's a little too, too heavy here. You're, you're going a little too deep in this outlet of expression. Like right, what really right. else is going on here? Right. So I think there, you know, the, the grief or the anger, it's going to go somewhere. It, you're yeah. right. Like burying it. It's like, it's like a cartoon where like it gets buried and it like just pops up right next to it. And so I think the best, the, the best thing to do is just find a safe place to tend to it. And that doesn't mean you talk about it all the time with everyone in every setting. It does mean you pick one or two or three people that you trust, um, that are safe, that are loving, that can walk through the mess with you. And that's really, really important. I know I tend to isolate when something's when I'm really overwhelmed and I've learned I have a, a good friend who is she lives in Texas and every once in a while she'll text me and she'll be like are you doing that thing where you say you're fine but you're not fine and you're not letting anyone into this really painful part of your life I'm like um yes yes I'm doing that you know um, but we all need people in our lives who know that and who will kind of like dig in there anyway comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. 
We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I think that that is so important about like finding those people and not sharing with everyone. Cause I, I'm a recovering overshare people pleaser. That is like a trait of mine where I love to overshare everything just to make sure that you, to try to get your validation to like, let me tell you everything about myself and tell you all the things that I'm struggling with that make me feel crazy that I am insecure about. So then maybe you can validate me and say, Oh, you're okay. Or like, let me just go and tell you. So I have all these flaws and let me just get it out here because I'm just a flawed person and I just need to know it. But then in a, that what that does is that makes me devalue myself because I'm like, I'm less than you because I'm so messed up and you're, you're the authority figure who's not. When really finding that one or two or three people who can just see you as a human that you are and go through the life that you've lived. And it's not like I don't, that don't expect you to be a certain way because of whatever journey you've been on that can just talk it out with you and give you guidance and true love for your particular journey without feeling like you have to be a certain way. Because I know there's certain people in my life who I love more than anything who've been a part of my life forever, but I'm not going to share everything with them because they're not actually the people that are going to give me the guidance I need. So picking those people is huge. 
Absolutely. And giving it time that, 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 uh, there can be things that you share with just a very small circle of people, you know, in like in the recovery movement and, and uh, especially with therapists, they use the phrase um, sharing from scars, not from wounds. Right. I love that. Isn't that great? Yes. And I think especially for anybody, anybody with a podcast or who's writing or who is on social media, um, when your heart gets broken and, and it, there is a wound you don't share that in a public way that day. No. You share it with your one to two to three people that day. Great distinction. And then you do the work and you cry and you grieve and you walk and you sleep and you go to therapy. And then over time, it becomes a scar. Ah. And then when someone puts their finger in it, it doesn't hurt that bad. It's a scar, not an open wound. Oh my gosh. So you're not so fragile that you can't handle anything because Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be able to handle anything when it's an open wound. When you have an open wound, the only thing you need to do is tend to that wound. Mm -hmm. You yourself need to tend to it. Every once in a while, someone will say to me, like, I can't believe you said all that in a book. I can't believe you just like blurted it all out, like just all of your, and I'm always like, hang on. Like I... There's a lot that happens in my life that's not in those books. And whatever happened, like it takes like at least a year for a book to come out. Anything you read today happened more than a year ago in my life. And I went to therapy and I wrote about it and I cried about it and I walked and then my editor read it and then this and then this. Like I didn't just decide today to pour all of this out. That wouldn't be healthy for me or for you. And so, but I think that idea of, Tending to a wound mm. in a very loving, tender, private yes. way. Private, private. And then when it becomes a scar, then it's something that you can share in the next kind of ring of appropriate places. That is so brilliant and profound and such a distinction because that is so true because i i'm all i love to share and i love people who will who are willing to share their stories but it is so true like you owe it to yourself to heal yourself first and it's you are understanding this wound and this process and this pain and you need to figure it out first before you can share it because if you start sharing it from the place of wound you're gonna have so much anger you're gonna have resentment you're gonna have all sorts of who knows? It's all going to be a mess up there and it's not going to have been sorted out at all. You're not going to have been able to do any healing on it. So really what you're sharing is not totally useful yet, you know, for yourself or anyone. Oh, absolutely. I feel like we've all had that moment where we've sensed like, Oh, I'm really connecting to what you're saying, but like in sort of a way that feels sort of icky and like a, like, um, like I'm seeing into something I shouldn't be seeing and I'm curious about it, but it's not good. And I think, um, that's a person who is sharing an open wound instead of a scar. God, that is like some of the best advice I've ever heard. That is so clear because it, you still allow yourself to be vulnerable and share, but you need to get to the other side of it for yourself. Well, and just 100% do not credit me with that. I heard that from someone else. That is not my phrase. But thank um, you for someone, passing it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's gold. It's gold. I love it so much, but I'm... I cannot take credit for it. I learned it from a friend. But it gives you the um, it gives you the power to stay private. And I feel like that is something I've struggled with staying private is because I feel like I didn't know what I was looking for. So I would just tell everybody everything to see if they could give me advice. And it's like, 
You need to just figure it out, figure out your trusted group, figure out your therapist, find these, and like you said with the therapist, get that person before you've got major problems. So then when you do have them, like you got a safe place to go, you're ready. Like you're, you got your armor already ready to put on. Like you can go into battle, but like in a good way. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So I have to talk about Oprah just for a okay, quick second. Yes. Yes. Of course. She's, she's been like Oprah. I mean, you were on Oprah, Super Soul Sunday. I mean, I know you are around tons of important people all the time too, just like I am as well. But like Oprah's like on another level. Oh, a hundred percent she is. Yeah. Was it ner- What was it like? I mean, I'm fangirling so much and you went to talk about present over perfect with her. You sat in her garden and did Super Soul Sunday. It was <gasps> amazing. And she oh. is um, just a dream. Every good thing that you want her to be behind the scenes that you're like desperately hoping she really is. She really 100% is just brilliant and kind and on it and just so multi-talented in terms of her interviewing skills. Like she's thinking of the next thing, but she's also really present in the current thing and generous and like just a total, Aaron and I still are like, did that really happen? Was that just like a wonderful dream? It was just start to finish. It was an amazing experience. Every good thing you want it to be, it was. Yeah. I mean, I just like every time someone has an interaction with Oprah, like you have, I'm literally like I am dead because to me, she's just like, she is that, that landing ground of all things great. And like when you have arrived in Oprah's presence, it's because you have tapped into that, that, that well of goodness that is flowing because she finds that goodness. Like, I feel like Oprah is a, is a center point of drawing in what is good in the world and giving it a place to live and, and, and breaking it down for us all to understand and receive. And so I was just like, Oh my God, first off, you're amazing. But like when those kind of souls collide like that, it's just so powerful. And like the messages that come out of those conversations are incredible. And I, I just, I'm just, it's just, I had to fangirl for a second. Are you at her house in her garden? Is that where she does it? Well, yes, but you're on her property, which is enormous. So it's not like, it's not like you're like next to her home, right? Like you, but you get ready in a guest house that is absolutely beautiful. And then they take you on a golf cart to like the area where they're shooting. And then, and it's like, this is what, one of the things that's really cool about it. You, it's an outdoor shot, obviously. And so I'm picturing like, like an outdoor setup. It's almost like there's like, it's such a, an amazing set that it feels like you're inside because there's like all the lights, all the everything, all the cameras. It's not like one guy with a camera. It's like a full on film shoot. Um, and, and it's just beautiful. And then they, on the way afterwards, they take you on like a little tour of seeing like all the, the garden and this and that. And it's, it's spectacular. And also I was so nervous um, because I had had a couple friends do it ahead of time. So they do like an amazing job. They prep you. You meet with several different producers. They, they really like prepare you very, very, very well. But I did have one friend say that she sometimes asks at the end, a handful of questions that you might not have been prepped for just to like see what happens to like see what good stuff comes out and so the couple days leading up to it my husband i think he thought he was helping but he would just like in the middle of a conversation ask a totally out of context question it was like a drill so he'd be like 
um, blah, blah, blah. What are we going to have for lunch? What about fracking? And I'd be like, ah, what about gun control? What about like things we were never going to talk about in any scenario? Um, but so I rem- one thing I remember from those couple days ahead of time was we'd be like, you know, I'd be like just about to fall asleep and he'd be like, what do you think about mid- mid-century furniture? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, to live and die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you feel like she threw a curveball at you? Were you ready for all the questions or was there one that you had to like really like stop and think about? No, one of the things that she does so unusually well, just like you said, is she really does bring out the best in a person and makes them feel really comfortable. It did not, so I think there were a handful of questions at the end, but they felt very much in line with what we were talking about. And I mean, it was just a totally great experience. And then it was like over and we left and we went to a Mexican restaurant and got tacos and we were like, did that just happen? Were you and Aaron or are you and Oprah? No, 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 me and Aaron. Yeah. Oh, I was like, oh, you had to like, get tacos? Oh, no, (laughs) definitely not. No, she was like, like, we finished. She was, it it was amazing. It was wonderful. She was like very present with us. And then like immediately went into like the next thing she was doing. She had like another interview or she'd do a voiceover for something. I don't know exactly what, but yeah, it was. And then we were at a a Mexican restaurant, like, wow, we've had an amazing morning. (laughs) So how, and I'm going to wrap up soon because I, I, would talk to you forever because you're incredible, but I know you have many things to do, but I, um, what is it like when life surprises you? Because you're one of those people that has had a lot of surprises in life and like this going on Oprah's super soul Sunday. Like those are moments that like people can only dream of, but to get there, you've had so many 
experiences, good and bad, to get you to that place of becoming an author, of all this, sharing your story. What is it like when you actually are living in these surprise moments that you could never have dreamed of? Or that you did dream of, but they're actually happening now, you know? Well, I would say what I, one thing I'm learning is the more wild things get, both on both sides, whether it's like amazing Oprah life or like the hardest things you've ever had to deal with in your life, um, you have to stay in daily life and take care of daily life in really like intentional, chill, grounded ways. That's the way through. Whether, yeah, it's amazing or absolutely terrible. Drink water, get good sleep, eat vegetables, make your kids go to bed on time, go outside. Um, The way to get through them is by living a good, grounded, calm life. Yes. And then around those big moments, whether they're amazing or terrible. So creating a grounded home life is Mm -hmm. very important. Like exponentially important. I think the the temptation is like, oh, well, since this big thing is happening, I can't do any normal things right now. I just have to right. live my, things are crazy. So all we do is crazy. Uh, so yes, all we do yes, is, yes. all we do is order takeout and we never do this and we stay up till five o'clock in the morning and we, you know, you yes. let the craziness of what's happening to you um, turn X everything crazy. Yes. And I think you've got to go totally the opposite. Like my friends know, like I have a couple big things with this book launch coming. Um, and they know that, uh, what I don't do is like a big shopping spree or this or that. I like, I get real big into bedtime. I get real big into having healthy deliver, have healthy groceries delivered. I get really quiet. Mm. Um, lots of prayer, lots of therapy. Um, not a lot, like I won't stay, you know, someone invited me to dinner at nine o'clock. I was like, I can't, dinner at nine o'clock. What is that? The middle of the night? They're like, <laughs> normally go to like, that's fine. Normally I'm like, not during book week. I can't um, make things really quiet and calm and predictable and healthy. So, so then that, when these big moments are happening. So that you, so that you're, you're a- approaching those big moments as your best, most grounded, most compassionate, most well-rested, most drenched in grace and wisdom self. Wow. That is wisdom right there. That is like really wise because you're so right. And like me, I come from the entertainment industry. I've been in country music for 20 years and had so many highs and so many lows. And like when I was in a season of artists and touring and like everything was happening, it's just like life is big, all that stuff. And then you have, and like I did the amazing race, which like you travel around the world and it's like, big, and then it's like, you have this crash and it's, you don't know how to live normal life anymore because you've only had big life. And so then when the big life stops, it's like, what do I actually do? Like, I don't even know how to live. So to create a grounded life, a center point, a home base, and then to enjoy those big moments, but to be prepared for them, to be equipped for them spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, then to go offer your best self, but then come back to your landing pad. That is so brilliant. Wow. I mean, that is, I did not learn that the easy way. I learned that a hundred percent the hard way, but I'm very committed to it now. I am. um, That is my, uh, that is a really important skill set I've had to learn and I'm really uh, committed to it these days. So I'm so thankful that I got to get this book. I guess I haven't learned that yet. This is your newest book. It's coming out. And what do you want people 
to take away from this book? You know, I always write as a friend, not as an expert or a pastor or a guide. Um, and this book, especially, I just I want people to feel like they're not alone. If they feel like they are living through a season of chaos or pain or fog, you're not alone. You're not the only one who's felt these things. And there is a way through. And it's not an easy way, but there is a way. That's the biggest thing I want to let people know. And that way is how do you, like you were saying before, to start, like that's a great way to start is maybe writing down what is causing me pain? What is my desire? Like, mm -hmm. is, that how, is that how you start? And I, I would say practicing self-compassion, practicing courage, practicing curiosity, letting yourself not have all the answers. Um, in, and then some of those just really basic things that we talked about, not isolating, not getting stuck inside in all sorts of ways, um, asking for help. It's, there are all these really like, we all want to believe that healing happens in like those big life moments, that it's like a dramatic thing. And then we're like all the way better. And it's mm. not, mm -hmm. it's daily and it's not sexy. And it's just like doing the same hard little things over and over and over and over again, until you start to recognize yourself in the mirror again, until you start to sound, the sound of your voice starts to feel familiar again. You start to feel at home in your life and your skin again, but there's nothing like there's no silver bullet. There's no big like before and after. It's just it's like building a house one two by four at a time. And you almost can't tell that you're making progress until after six weeks or eight weeks, all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, look. But you had to do it with the hammer and the nails every day to get to that point. So that's that's what I have learned along the way. And I think uh, I think a lot of us are looking at new chapters of our lives and looking for the very kind of practical ways to get through it every day. I hope this is a helpful set of tools. It is. It's amazing. It's an incredible book. You're such an incredible writer. Thank you from sh for, sh from sh for sharing from your scars. Thank you Thank for you. that because <laughs> I feel that in these books. Like I feel that you have really gone through it and done your own work and healed. And then you're sharing what has helped you get to a place of a beautiful scar that you're now proud to have because of all the lessons it has brought you and that you've been able to learn. So mm -hmm. it is such a pleasure and joy and honor to have you on. I always wrap up with one question, which is leave your light. And it's very open-ended. What do you want people to know? I want people to know that no matter what you've lost, there is still enough in the world that is hopeful and beautiful. There are people um, who will love you and walk with you and take care of you. There is a beautiful world that God created in nature. There are great meals to be eaten and songs to be listened to and danced to. And there is enough ahead of us that is beautiful no matter what we've lost. It is, it is just so awesome to get to talk to you. I have enjoyed this conversation so much. I know all my listeners will. Thank you for sharing your heart and your wisdom and taking the time to come on here. I know you have so much on your plate and it means the world to me. So I've honestly been a fan of you for a long time and love your books. And it was so cool to have this moment with my friend Lainey and like you impacted her so much. You've impacted all of country music too, because Lainey has given that book to pretty much every wife of a country music artist. <laughs> and oh, they've all amazing. read Saver because we all need it. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Thank you. This has been totally a joy. Thank you for having me. This has been it's a pleasure. something that you do say in, I think it's Saver or what, but calendar landmines. And I love that too. And Lainey was bringing that up to me again too. Like how you talked about there's calendar landmines that come up, whether you've had a miscarriage on this day, whether this was the day you got divorced, whether this was the day your father died, whether this is like, there's these calendar landmines 
And we all have them and like learning how to navigate those and walk with God through those and to find grace through those because, and you offer, you offer so much wisdom in that. And I, I think Savor is the one that you talk about with that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyone who needs a daily devotional, check out that too, because you just hit it all. You hit it all. And I appreciate <laughs> you sharing because it really is helpful and amazing and healing. You're amazing, Shauna. Thank you. It was great to talk with you. Thanks so much. Great to talk with you too. And I can't wait to just see how this book impacts the world in such a positive way because I know what it's done for me already. So you're incredible. And thank you for sharing your heart and taking the time to write it all down and put it out there because that's not an easy task to do. And that's a lot to give of yourself because you're sharing all these personal details, which is very hard to do that. And thank you for being that steward because it takes a special person to offer all that up. We all have stuff that we're dealing with and to actually share it with the world is... It's, it's bravery. And so thank you for your, your bravery and your vulnerability. It means a lot to all of us. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. That means a lot to me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll be watching for you and following your journey with this, with all that you continue to do. And I hope that one day our paths might cross in physical form. I would love that. Thank you. All right. Okay. Bye, Shauna. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.